Hello and welcome to another episode of The Long Finish. I am your host, Tug Coker, and I'm here as always with my wife and co-host, Catherine Weil Coker. How are you doing tonight, Catherine? I'm good. How are you? You know what? Doing pretty well. You have been high spirits all day and it's just, it's so nice. You're lifting me up. I, I have to be because you're not feeling well. I got a baby. There's just a little baby in there. Well, it's that time, right? It's like, I don't know what pregnancy is. I've only experienced it through watching you two times, two and a half times. And it seems like trimester one is tough for you. Two is okay. And then starting to go into the last phase is difficult. Yeah, the first trimester is the pits. Yeah. Second, feeling good, rolling along. Third, the beginning of the third is like, fine. And now it's like... Mm, starting to get tired. And <laughs> the Maybe baby I'm pregnant because <laughs> I'm also tired. <laughs> the baby is burrowing in there. He's getting big. <sighs> but we've got about six to eight more weeks, believe it or not. You bring up a good point for tonight's episode. Episode 60 Wow. of The Long Finish. Thanks to everyone for joining us on this ride. I'm going to say it right off the bat. If you have an opportunity to rate, review, and subscribe to our show. So please. Please hit, hit us up. Help us out. But excited to talk to you tonight because this is an industry conversation tonight. For those of you out there who are interested in getting into the wine world or the restaurant world, wanted to do a little pull back the curtain and talk to you about Catherine's process when she's tasting wines to potentially bring on to a menu, whether it's at Rustic or Esther's or wherever. I want to go through that process a little bit tonight. Right, Catherine? That's it. It's something that people think sounds really fun, and it is really fun. But to us now, well, to me now, it's sort of old hat, but it'll be fun to dissect it. And I bring the idea of pregnancy into this because you don't really taste the wines. You're just spitting the wines out for most tastings. 99% of the tastings, you're spitting the wines out, correct? Absolutely. But let me say this. I always do that. So whether I'm pregnant or... That's what I'm saying. Pregnancy or no. Pregnancy or not, I am always spitting. Just because by the time you get to the second, you know, fourth, fifth tasting, you can't taste anything because you've had the first couple wines. So your judgment is impaired. You're just tasting wine. And then by the end of it, you're feeling woozy. You can't drive and you can't work. So no, I don't drink the wine. So we're going to get into the process a little bit later, but let's go ahead and recap what's been going on in our life. And we have some news, not necessarily breaking news. Everyone knows the news that's going on over the next month, which is going to be crazy, by the way. March is upon us, and we're going to be packing up and leaving our home that we've lived in for the last 14 years. And then about two weeks later, we're going to be on full baby watch. So the next two months are just bonkers. But we took a second last night to enjoy ourselves and actually go out. We, I forgot. We did. It was our third night out in the last year. <laughs> third night out in COVID. That's right. We were actually thinking about what we did those previous two times. Yeah. And it was the same thing <laughs> once. Yeah. One time we went to Rustic Canyon last night. And the first night we went out during COVID was to Rustic Canyon and then to Tallulah's that same night. And then the time in the middle was when we were looking at a house across town and we barely, barely got in. There's some random place in a strip mall. Yeah, it was like an office park. Yeah, we had to eat at a, a picnic table, yeah. like some some kind of Polish stew that we ate. And 
it was freezing. Anyway, that was not not quite as uh, elevated experience. Well, it was fun for us to go out, and I'm sure people listening to this all over the country have different restaurant policies depending on where you live. Some some are indoor dining, some are just outdoor. L.A. is just outdoor dining, and a lot of empathy going into the restaurant staff, but also the guests because on our particular night last night, very windy. And very cold. It was so cold. Yeah. I mean, and uh, <laughs> heaters galore. I mean, everyone was getting heaters. Yes, but you couldn't. Yeah. They, what the heaters were like a little help, but it's so windy that the heat is being sort of blown all around. I mean, we came prepared: jackets, hats, scarves. Some folks at other tables. I'm like, you know, you're gonna be outside all evening, right? I mean, they just look like they expected the staff to bring them a warm coat and a blanket but it is on restaurant websites you know and i know esther's explains it as well like come bundled up we can't offer you you know previous times we would offer blankets at esther's but during covid times we would want that not gonna happen so come prepared bring your own blanket byob it's the new byob folks exactly bring your own blanket bring your own parka you know layer up so I had a great time being out. It was fun. I mean, really, it felt the energy was good. Like especially was when we first so sat down, good. it was like oh, the tables are all full. It People looked are here beautiful. For the right like nice to be out. Great music and the food was fantastic. I mean, I'm sure those of you who have been out more than us enjoy that. Like, wow, I'm in a restaurant. This isn't my own cooking. It's so spectacular. We really had that moment last night. It was. That was really fun. The food was excellent, but you were right. You and I did sort of pinpoint the dishes that we're so used to having the past six months, which is tacos, burgers, uh, stewed meats, pork chops, blah, blah, blah. And we got something that we could not make, and it tasted amazing. I cannot wait for restaurants to come back into full form. It was such a pleasure. (laughs) And we also just got to be regular people, not parents, for three hours yes we might get one more opportunity to do that before oh. it gets crazy oh, I, I hope think. so but that was really really a needed night out hopefully all of you out there are doing the same thing getting a little bit of relief from your own cooking but let's get into some wine for tonight and so here's how it's going to go Catherine and esters receive samples all the time in various forms and Catherine will talk about the, the ways in which samples are delivered in normal times but also in pandemic times and then what we're going to do is we're going to open three bottles of wine and we're gonna just talk about the wines in a very generic fashion and then just say if Catherine is interested in buying the wine or not and she'll talk to you about why she's interested in buying that wine or why not does that sound like a good description of what's going to happen yep love it all right Catherine go ahead and give us the description of the three wines and, and how and your normal process and how you would examine these wines for possible purchase Right. So before COVID times, we used to meet with all the sommeliers in the Rustic Canyon family one day a week, and we would taste with reps or importers or winemakers by appointment one afternoon a week. We all tasted together, had our notebooks, took notes, because it's great to be tasting with other people. Sometimes you're having an off day. Other people notice different things than you do. It's great to be able to talk about the wine, see if there's kind of like a general buzz that happens when that wine is, everyone's tasting it like, oh, wow, something special is happening. Obviously, none of that's happening right now. We're not, we're not tasting together. Luckily, I do still get to taste at home sometimes with you, which is 
saving grace. But the process is still the same. So it's about tasting and evaluating what is in the glass, knowing the price point, and seeing if it makes sense for the program, if it falls in line with our ethos, a focus on farming, small boutique winemakers, is it delicious, does the price point make sense, and do we need it? We're always looking for new by-the-glass options and bottle selections as well. Now, some bottle selections are harder to fit if it's a category that we usually only have one wine. We have our favorites. It's hard to boost that out. We'll take a look and see what we have tonight. So the way that we're tasting these days is either uh, reps or importers will drop off small sample bottles, two to four ounce little bottles with a price sheet and information sheet about the wines. And I can taste them that day, either at work or at home, or they are dropping or sending full bottles, which is very generous, probably very costly to them. Sometimes very fun for us because we get to enjoy a wine fully if we really like it. And sometimes feels, you know, a little wasteful if it's not particularly a special wine and we have to gift it to our neighbors. And we understand why certain people have to or want to only distribute in those small vials. But if perfect world, you actually like the bottles still just because it's the fullest, you feel like it's the fullest expression of the wine, correct? Perfect world, perfect world. Perfect world, yes. The full bottle is the best expression of the wine because you know when it's opened, it's having its life in the bottle. You can go back for as many extra tastes as you need to. And the little bottles, you don't get to do that. You don't know if they got warm riding around in a car. You don't know if they sort of lost some of the When they were poured aroma, into the bottle. When we're, they were poured in. You just don't know. And so it's more of a chance. However, I've been tasting primarily out of those small bottles just because I feel like it's the most economical and best use of time for everyone, really. And we've also seen those those vials, for lack of a better term, get a little bit bigger over the course of the year. I think we were actually starting off maybe like in April, May, when they, yeah, were, really, like they, were, they, were, they were really small. Yeah. And I think like even the bigger double size, four to five, six ounces, help it, the wine improve in the tasting with the different shape. Definitely. Yeah. So that's that. Now we have three wines that are made away in front of you. Three wines. What's the process now that these three wines, do you look at a sheet? Is there a sheet of information? What's given to you when you're looking to taste wine? Yeah, so usually it's a sheet or an email with the name of the wine and the pricing. And sometimes the person, the distributor, will send info sheets about the wine. Sometimes not. I don't need that. For me, I want to taste it first, know the price. Then if I like it, I'm going to inquire about the story of the wine. However, anyone sending wine to me, to Esther's, to the Rustic Canyon family, knows about our farming standards, that it has to be at least from practicing organic vineyards, preferably organic, biodynamic, regenerative, dry farmed, like just really well farmed. And it should be a boutique winery, not giant conventional owned by a bank, but really owned by people and have a good story. I don't need to know that story. I don't need to meet the winemaker. I don't need to know any of that. 
until I taste the wine, and then I might want to know about it. Now, but, from, you, do, but you do want to know about the pro- the farming practices. That's important. Yeah, that, that has I, to be a prerequisite. I don't even want to taste it if yeah. it doesn't have yeah. great farming practices. But some part of me actually likes this tasting process a little bit. You know, part of it is a little bit more fair than it was when the distributor would come and we'd all taste in person because they're telling you the story of the wine or you're meeting the winemaker and you're already deciding things that you love about this. Oh my gosh, the grandmother grew up on this estate and now the wallpaper in her home is on the label and she loved wine her whole life, but it wasn't until her grandson, you know, came back to the farm and really started to make natural wine that she knew she had her legacy was going to see the light of day I mean you're you're already into the wine right you haven't even tasted it so I am so swayed by those stories and especially too if I meet a winemaker that I'm just compelled by it's very hard for me to be more black and white about what's in the glass so in a way this is better because I'm tasting really what's in the glass focusing on that if it's special, then tell me the story. And you've mentioned this previously on the podcast, but I've been tasting more wines over the past few months and acting as sort of a gatekeeper for you. If I like the wine, I pass it to you and say, give us a taste. I think the hit rate's been pretty decent. I think you and I yeah. share a lot of taste in common. So it'll be fun to taste these with you tonight. I've not tasted these three at all. You and I have not tasted them. So we'll taste them together. And we'll probably have a pretty quick decision on whether you like the wines or not. I'll probably decide in my head, oh, Catherine will like this. Catherine will like this very quickly. So should we do it? Let's do it. So we've got three red wines, all between 12 and $16. Here we go. And you should say those are wholesale prices, correct? These are all wholesale prices. Correct. So these would all be potential for by the glass or just on the shelf. And just to say, like we'll like use traditional restaurant pricing for the purposes of like a, let's say a fifteen dollar bottle wholesale would sell in a traditional restaurant. Is it generally three x the price? Is that traditionally a fifteen dollar bottle would be fifteen dollars by the glass, or if it wasn't by the glass and it was just on the list at a restaurant, it would be three x. So it would be forty five dollars. Now in our group. And at Esther's, we get more creative with that pricing. Because we're a retail model, it's certainly not that pricing at all. I'll also say right now, I'm sure all models are broken up because of people just want people to come to restaurants more than ever. Exactly. And you want to price some things up and you want to price some things lower to sell. And But anyway, that's the standard traditional. So as she's pouring, just to recap, we're going to describe the wine but not give away the producer. I'm holding up my my spittoon. <laughs> He's trying to pour into my spittoon, but here's the real real pour now. So we'll give you some basic des- descriptions of the wine, not tell you what the wine actually is, and then we'll decide whether or not Catherine is going to buy it for the restaurant group. Here we go. Number one. So for the purposes of this podcast, we're not going to like do as an in-depth tasting as we normally do. Frankly, I don't do a totally in-depth tasting on every single wine that we try because I just know I can get a snapshot much quicker. So we're just going to move through this process a little bit quicker. All right, so we see that this is a garnet color. It looks like there are some, there's some body to it. Put our nose in there. Woo, earthy, baby. 
tar and cherry and fig. Yeah, it's like all kind of dried herbs. This is Italy, a hundred percent. All right, taste it. Medium body, dry, high tannin. That is a hundred percent Nebbiolo. And I know that from the bottle. This is a Nebbiolo from Valtellina, which is in Lombardy. Vintage 2013. So that's kind of cool, tasting a wine that's seven years old. And it 100% tastes like Nebbiolo. Nebbiolo from Lombardy should be, and is in this case, lighter than Barolo. You have something that's more tart cherry, more tar, and not so intense and bold and crazy ageable. It just tastes like fresher Nebbiolo. You still got that grip. Oh, yeah. The tannin is there. The color and the tannin give way. Like, yes, this is Nebbiolo. So a couple things that I'd be looking for. One, does it taste like the grape varietal? Is it typical for the grape varietal? Yes, I think so. I think someone who's ordering a Nebbiolo from northern Italy, not Barolo, this is what you would expect. The price on this it's $12.50 wholesale, which I think is a really good price. I feel like this over delivers for what that is. If this was priced at $18, $19, I'd still think it was great buy. So the value here is really strong. I think I'm enjoying learning this in real time, by the way. This is actually happening for real right now. And I'm totally excited to see whether she wants to buy it or not. So for me, the fact that this tastes very typical and I think the pricing is really good for the quality of what's in the glass. This has got a real shot. I'm definitely considering this for a buy the glass. Oh. Will you determine after the three of these if one can be a real winner? Well we'll see. Okay, but great. so far I'm very intrigued by this. Also, maybe not even by the glass, but just on the shelf. This would be land at a great to price. To have a nebula point. at this price point I think is be, be awesome. Rad. Yeah. And I think this over delivers for what it is. There's something that like is going to get a yes from me. If it over delivers for the price that it is, if the quality surpasses what the price point is, yes. Off to a good start. Okay, we have here another red from northern Italy. This is from the Veneto. This is Valpolicella. Valpolicella is a region, but the grape varieties are Corvina, Corvinone, Rondinella. And this also happens to have Osoletta in it, which is more obscure but still standard and medium body dry should have lower tannin should have same high acid so let's give it a whirl lighter in color more transparent more ruby earthy whoo earthy nose I almost can't get beyond that it smells like really intense packed dried earth and a barnyard The palate is surprisingly light, a little bit more juicy. I'm just not getting any fruit on this wine. It tastes just like pure dirt to me. There's no pleasure in it, really. This is $15 a bottle, and I'm not interested. (laughs) There we go. Full spectrum on the two wines. This was not planned, people. Not planned at all. I love this. The fact that we actually have potential with the first one and a full pass on the second one is very exciting. It's nice to get a full yes and a full no. That's right. I mean, most of the wines kind of are in the middle. So, wine number three. 
Wine number three is from California. Quick question about the Italian wines that we tried tonight, number one and number two. They're both northern Italian wines, but from very different regions. Would they ever be in conflict with one another? Would you ever buy one or the other or no? No, they're in different categories. Like, That's what I thought. They could both fall into the earthy category on our shelves. We have sort of five categories for reds. There's a lighter red, a fruity red, an earthy red a robust red, and a chilled red. So they could both fall into the earthy category, but they don't compete against each other. They might compete against each other by the glass because I might not want to have two Italian reds. Does that make sense? Completely. Okay, so wine number three from California. This is Petite Syrah. Petite Syrah, very traditionally super dark color and this has it full body high tannin more medium acid petite syrah is known to be one of the big boys it's not related to syrah it's not like a form of syrah however it was created in the 1880s in france by a botanist who made a cross between syrah and pelursin very obscure variety and then it made its way to the U.S., where it has had most of its popularity here. So crazy dark color, right? We yeah, cannot like purple, see like through it. Super purpley. Yeah. Oh, boy, those legs. And to go back to a point earlier, you can't really have these deductive tastings that we have on the show at your tastings. In person? In person. No. Because you're tasting five, six wines in like 15 minutes. I mean, you're you doing just, so quickly. You just do it fast. Yeah. Because you're getting to know a wine, but it's also about the impression of the wine. And that's kind of what the guest is going to get more, the impression of the wine. Wow, look at that nose though, huh? Olivey and green pepper and plummy. It's intense. It's a nice nose. I like it. It is. A lot more pepper. Very black fruit. Very juicy. I just told you guys that Syrah is not related to Petite Syrah. But if I was blinding this, which I sort of half am, I would guess it's Syrah. It's crazy because it's so like plummy and peppery. and Agree. It's just wild. It's also from Lodi, which is a region where you can get better priced Petit Syrah, better priced almost anything because land is cheaper there and it's a newer region for growing wines, quality wines. So that's kind of cool to know. That's why this could be a buy the glass option. This is fifteen fifty wholesale. Here's my dilemma with this. Bring it to me. It's delicious, but it tastes like Syrah. And someone who wants to order Petite Syrah might not be happy with this because it doesn't taste like Petite Syrah. So then in my head, I'm thinking, oh, but I like this version of Petite Syrah. But is it worth it to explain it to guests who aren't expecting this. So explain it to us again, and by us I mean me, about what you're getting with the difference between Syrah and Petite Syrah. To me, this has more acid, more peppery notes, more of that black fruit that I think of with Syrah. And Petite Syrah has usually more body, more like chocolatey, intense, like higher alcohol. It's usually the big boy in the room. It's like the most robust wine. And this isn't. And that's why you like it. And, and that's, that's the conundrum. I like it. That's the conundrum. Yeah. So I like it because it's not normal, but is that a good reason to buy it? Very interesting. And this is something that comes up all the time with you because you also have to work with a budget. Now more than ever, we're working with budgets. So you might 
run into a couple wines that you like and maybe you mark them down for uh, another time or something? How, how do you ex- actually explain to me how you would go through this process where you have two wines that are really viable candidates? Do you file one away for another day? How does that work for you? Yeah, it's not like one person today is going to get the prize and one isn't. I might not buy either, but I might buy both in the future. So wine number one probably is going to get bought really soon, I would say in the next two weeks, and it's going to go on the shelf or by the glass because it's a great price. It over delivers for what it is, and it tastes like where it's from, what it is. I hope the story's great. Can't wait to hear the story. (laughs) Can't wait to share that. Wine number two. I'm putting it on the shelf. Let's say we do a tasting and we want to do some varietals that we don't normally do in California. Or I have some other stuff from this producer and I want to do a tasting with more wines from this producer. Or I want to do, hey, Syrah versus Petite Syrah tasting. What's that like? This would be a great candidate. So I'm kind of, I would kind of put this in that category. I don't want to serve it by the glass. I don't want to just have it for the shelf, but I will definitely keep it in my mind, in my notes for a special need or a tasting. We've said this a lot on the podcast, but you and I are not the, we don't drink a ton of big reds, but you're right. This Petite Syrah really hits home to what kind of reds we would drink on the bigger spectrum. Absolutely. Because it still has that intense fruit. The nose is super like rich and intense. But the palate's like more medium and peppery and earthy and lots of acid. So what we're going to do is that we're not going to unveil these wines on the podcast, but go to our Instagram at The Long Finish, and we will show a picture of what we ultimately do with these two wines. So check out our social media. Or at least one of them. Yeah, one if of, we one, buy one, we'll post the picture. Don't but I think, think we should, and I think we should do a story on the other because we, okay. we're, saying they're, we're saying they're both quality wines. Yeah. Like, these get the thumbs up, right? Yeah, Yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. And so, and we'll let you know what we do with these wines, ultimately. So, yes. And that'll be on the, at the long finish on Instagram. Anything else you want to say about your process, about how you're tasting wines? So, I think 80% of the wines I taste are just fine. They're fine. 10% of the wines I taste are bad. And 10% are really good. But most of them are just fine. They're just not special you know people are not out there slinging bad wine it just doesn't have that oh my gosh i have to buy this thing and that's completely subjective by the way of course it is yeah because someone else might taste the wine that you think is fine and it's the best wine they've ever tasted absolutely but that's why you have different wine stores and different people who are buyers and you have customers who come to follow one particular store or like one particular person's way of buying it doesn't make it right but that's what wine is it's all subjective i also say this you and i actually have a lot of fun tasting wines because it's always fun to find that 10 percent that is special because you and i get really excited especially you so excited you get so excited that's your one of your passions if not your main passion with wine is to discover new wines and so when your face lights up when you find a wine like we did tonight we think this is not planned by the way this is just three bottles of wine that we chose it's exciting Definitely not planned. And I will tell you, it will be interesting to have someone here like look at these three labels because the label has nothing to do with it. Absolutely nothing. Now, if we like the wine, we could be like, oh, that's nice. It has that nice label. It'll sell well. Or if we're kind of on the fence, like, "Mm, 
well, it could go in a gift box. You know, you sort of can like push it over the edge one way, but the wine speaks for itself tonight. So a little fun change on this week's episode. I had a blast doing this, by the way. I hope you had fun doing it. And if you have any questions about the process, we'd be happy to answer them at The Long Finish on Instagram or at The Long Finish on Twitter. Hit us up. We're happy to answer whatever. So stay tuned. Follow us on Instagram so you can see the wines that we're talking about tonight. That's it. All right, now we're coming to the last portion of the evening, which is what has been inspiring us this week. I'm going to go first. Catherine makes fun of me all the time because we don't watch a lot of TV other than Blue's Clues and Paw Patrol and Peppa Pig, but I, I do have a soft spot for competitive reality shows. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, brother. And this is actually an inspiration to a non-competitive reality show, but it's, it's the OG of reality shows. It's the real world, specifically the real world in New York, the beginning, the genesis of the real world. I watched that. I think I was... I may have been 12 or 13 years old. I don't know. I was very young watching these people live together in New York. Well, I'm inspired because I read a New York Times article this week announcing there's another new streaming platform coming. It's called Paramount Plus, which is under the Viacom umbrella. So all these MTV shows are going to be on it. And the real world is coming back. The original seven roommates picked to live in a loft in New York are coming back as 40 and 50-somethings to live together again. I have no idea what that's going to look like. Can you imagine being a 40 or 50-something to go back and live in a loft? I'm assuming there's kids being left at home, you know, lives being dropped to come live back in New York. That's the entertainment I watch to shut my brain off. Catherine rolls her eyes at me every time. She can't be in the same room sometimes with some of these shows. It's true. But, hey, the heart wants what the heart wants. So will it be enough to get me to subscribe to Paramount Plus? I have no idea. I bet it will. You think it will? We'll find (laughs) out. We'll find out on the Instagram. We're going to reveal the wines and reveal the shows that Tug watches. So anyway, I'm inspired by this great article. Very interesting to see what they've been up to in the past 20, 30 years to 30 years ago. 29 years ago, these people were in New York. Crazy. So that's my inspiration for the week. Catherine, what do you have? I'm inspired by an article in The New Yorker that came out on Friday, the 26th, by Cal Newport called Email is Making Us Miserable. And I sent it to my friend and she goes, did you write this? (laughs) Because that is basically my philosophy. You guys, I really hate email. Let me just tell you, my idea of hell, if I'm a bad person on this earth, is going to be a never-ending inbox and me at a like, steel desk trying to finish it. <laughs> so Cal Newport was speaking right to me. He wrote a book that I read last year called Deep Work. Uh, a bunch of people in our restaurant group read it. I thought was fabulous. And he's coming out with a book on this very topic of email and how it's not made for humans and not all the flaws with it. And it was right up my alley. So the other part I like about this is that all this research about why humans are ultimately going to fail and be like miserable with email, big companies are like, oh no, people are just lazy or they don't have good workflow. But really the email system is flawed and is making us humans miserable. Anyway, you're smirking at me, but this man was speaking to my heart here. I'm excited to read it. Do it. I'll give it to you right now. We're going to be on maternity leave very soon, and you'll have nothing but email. Oh, God. Talks about that. It does? A vacation response. It's like, it's even worse, because then you know when you get back from vacation, you have all these emails to get to. 
It'd be better if it just deleted them yeah, automatically. Just, just delete them. <laughs> just delete them. All right, folks, that's it. That's episode 60. Episode 60 is in the books. Thanks to everybody for joining us. Again, if you have a chance to rate, review, or subscribe to our show, please, it would mean a lot to us. It would mean a lot to our unborn child to get that review, that rating, and that subscription to our show. Uh, we should be back with a few more episodes before we go on hiatus for our life melts down. So stay tuned for those next few episodes. Catherine, where can they find you and The Long Finish on social media? You can find me at Catherine Wild Coker on Instagram and Facebook. And you can find The Long Finish at The Long Finish on Instagram and Facebook. You can find The Long Finish on Twitter at TLF Pod. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Tug Coker. We'll see you next week for another episode. Until then, everybody stay safe, be smart, wear masks, practice social distancing, get the vaccines. Have a great week and happy drinking. Ciao.